0: hello everybody welcome back to another brand new episode of the casual criminalist as always i am your host the casual criminalist joins today by absolutely nobody but how it works here is callum the writer for this show has written me a script which i have in front of me now it is seriously hefty it weighs in at 23 pages this is gonna be what i feel like it's gonna be a long episode i also feel like i'm gonna have some good laughs in this one For a reason I'll get into in a moment after I have thanked our wonderful producer, video editor, Jen. Thank you, Jen. You make it wonderful. If you're watching this show, she adds the images. If you're listening, she adds all the sounds and all of that stuff. Why I think I'm going to enjoy this episode particularly is because I've done similar videos to this before, talking about, like, Amazon reviews and stuff, and Amazon reviews can get absolutely wild. Like, the s*** that people write, like and how they review Amazon products is great. And I really want to give you credit, but I absolutely can't remember who it was, and I looked through my old tweets. Tweets? Is that right? Not my tweets, but, like, things people are tweeting at me on Twitter. And someone's like, dude, you got to check out the Amazon review killer. He's literally a dude who buys things off Amazon, uses them for killing, and then writes reviews on Amazon about using them for killing. And I'm like that can't be real but no it is real and you know it's real because Callum wrote a 23 page script about it which which we're going to get into I'll stop rambling let's do it oh if you're enjoying this show make sure you uh, leave it a review if you're a podcast listener make sure you smash that like button if you are watching on YouTube and let's do it how can one truly know the soul of a man. Some will tell you it's the eyes which are the window to the soul. That's a Stanislavski quote, I believe. The eyes are the window to the soul. I like that one. A psychoanalyst might look towards his dreams, and irritating people with dream catchers above their beds will insist that star signs reveal everything you need to know about a person. <laughs> yeah, people with dream catchers, I imagine, like people who would irritate me, it's just like, really, gonna catch all the bad dreams, are we? However, there is one hanging over the bed of my kids and I'm like, it looks really cool. It's got like these feathers and stuff. It looks really nice. And I'm like, well, that's a nice concept. And you know, honestly, if you believe that stuff, it's probably going to work for you. You'll be like, yeah, it catches the bad dreams. So I don't have bad dreams. And it's like, okay, if you believe that, great. I honestly wish I believed in all that. Sh- I wish, like, the idea of, you know, not just this, but also, wow, we are off the rails already, and it's like, what, what, two minutes in? But I wish I believed all that magic stuff, you know, about karma and all of that nonsense. I wish I did. Or, like, heaven. I wish that after we died, there was a glorious place we went to where everyone we knew is alive and great. I I just, unfortunately, I just don't. (laughs) It's a bit depressing. But... As we and the NSA know, none of that retro nonsense can hold a candle to the one true avenue to a person's self. Their internet activity. That's the real way to discover all the dark depths of a person's mind. And that's what I'm bringing you today. A window into the mind of a psychopath, as told through an unlikely medium. Here's Amazon.com Reviews. Back in 2014, one courteous shopper known only as me left a series of lighthearted ratings for stuff that had recently picked up online. However, me had quite a peculiar shopping cart, padlocks, a chainsaw, a shovel, firearms attachments, a stun gun. Oh my god, just add duct tape to it, and we've got a situation. I get, I mean we've got a situation anyway, but. Dude, you got to get some duct tape. I mean, that's what belongs. It belongs on that shopping list for what you're up to. <laughs> Chainsaw, my dude. Chainsaw. Do killers actually use chainsaws in real life? That's a movie thing, right? Chainsaw's going to be way too messy. Just use a big knife or a bone. I- <laughs> Stop giving tips to criminals. Sounds like the wish list of either. A particularly heavy-handed mall cop, a tree surgeon in a bad part of town. Dude, a particularly heavy-handed mall cop. <laughs> God, what are you doing with a chainsaw? Stop stealing those chocolate bars. Or perhaps just maybe a serial killer. So who was this mystery reviewer and what pearls of wisdom do they have to share with the world? Well, tidbits such as Husqvarna. Oh my God that's the name of a chainsaw apparently 455 rancher 20-inch gas-powered chainsaw five stars works excellent getting the neighbor to stand still while you chase him with it is hard enough without an easy to use chainsaw dude clearly our anonymous leatherface has a dark sense of humor what if i told you that he was only ever half joking because many of the tools he was reviewing would end up being used in very real murders kidnappings, sexual assaults and more. It would all start to look a lot less funny in retrospect when the genuinely disturbed individual behind these quirky posts was captured. Ghost in the Machine And here's another Amazon review. High security locks. And then a serial number for the lock I guess. Which I'm not going to read. But he writes, 5 stars. Now my locks have locks. Place is a Hotel California now. I don't get the joke. Hotel California, isn't that that song about? Is that what? <laughs> Something is so dumb. On August 31st, 2016, 30 year old Carla Brown and her boyfriend, 32 year old Charles Carver, disappeared without a trace from their apartment in Anderson, South Carolina. The couple had recently moved in together after a whirlwind romance and were having one of Carla's friends over for dinner that night to introduce them to Charlie. But when the guests arrived at the apartment that evening, nobody was there to welcome them. The only one inside was their dog, a little Pomeranian called Romeo, barking at the sound of the doorbell. So the visitors tried the door handle and were surprised to find it unlocked. She called out, but there was no answer. Little Romeo had been left without any food or water, which meant that the couple couldn't have planned to be out for long. The friend tried calling Carla, but her phone was off, so she asked around on Facebook to see if anyone knew where Charlie and Carla had gotten to. Friends of Charlie confirmed that he too was unreachable. He was last seen on CCTV leaving work on the 31st. But after that, nothing. When his family went round the next day to investigate and rescue poor Romeo, they noticed something strange. Charlie and Carla had left their contact lenses and prescription medication behind. Had they planned on being out overnight, they'd definitely have taken them along. That's when they called the police. Friends and family raised the alarm on social media and began preparing flyers to hand out around the area. And then, just as quickly as he was gone, Charlie reappeared. Not in person, but online. We've done casual criminals episodes before where it's like, yeah, people have disappeared and then it's like, yeah, they reappear online and they send messages to their friends saying like, no, 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 I'm fine. I definitely haven't been murdered. And this is my serial killer writing this message It that I, I'm already calling it. That's what's happening here because real people who've disappeared and everyone's worried about them. They f- call people who've been kidnapped by serial killers. They text message because, you know, it's more anonymous. And thanks to the digital relics of this case left online, we see how it unfolded in real time from the safety of our own basement content caves. Yes. All so much better to be warmly inside. On September the first, Charlie's Facebook profile sprung to life with a change in relationship status. Apparently, he and Carla had run off and gotten married without telling anyone. This was especially strange because Charlie was actually already married. At the time, he was estranged from his wife. Things got stranger over the following days as Charlie started posting memes on his Facebook page, something his mother said he never usually did, and ignoring everyone's worried appeals for help. Yeah, I mean, this would be the opposite for me. If suddenly my Twitter stops. Posting memes and starts posting sensible content and thoughtful things, that's when you know I've been kidnapped. Or or just murdered. Potentially just murdered. Even more out of character was the aggressive tone this usually mild-mannered dude took on the comment threads online. On September the 6th, he updated his cover photo to an image of the Joker and Harley Quinn, and this time responded to some of the worried comments below. Friend, where is Carla? Charlie, who the f are you to question me about my girlfriend? Friends. The cops are looking for you, asshole. <laughs> his brother Nathan commented underneath, saying that his brother never spoke so disrespectfully to people, so the only reasonable assumption was that his page had been hacked. Some sick individual had either done something to Charlie or cracked his password to troll his family for fun. Now, someone's done something to him. It's What are the odds of him disappearing and having his Facebook account hacked at the same time? It's very, very low. Someone These things are related. Also why are you changing his Facebook page profile to a, the picture of the Joker? What's up with you? The social media saga unfolded over the following weeks, with each new post and interaction dissected for clues. This new version of Charlie told her friends, The one person that means the most to me and Carla, she knows where we are, and we are coming that way forever. Uh, <laughs> whoever this new person is, people are like, Charlie's not dumb. Charlie is just, he's not that stupid. He doesn't write like that. He's got heart, at least half a brain. This person like I that wasn't my fault in reading this wrong. This is just badly written judging by the grammar We're dealing with perhaps the most diabolical seven-year-old in America another reason his mother knew it wasn't really her son But the question remains why in the hell would anyone have any reason to impersonate Charlie in the first place? Uh, And again, I'm gonna guess It's nothing logical, it's just that they're a crazy person. Naturally, suspicion started falling on his estranged wife, Nicole Carver. As I said, there's a, I mean, I know it's always the wife, but there's a big jump between, like, estranged wife and, uh, kidnapping and then impersonating him online and changing his Facebook profile picture to a picture of the Joker and Harley Quinn. (laughs) Okay, wife, estranged wife. Just doesn't seem very likely. But I mean, where else are we to start other than the wife? As I said, the two were separated, and judging by her own social media posts, it appears as if it wasn't a mutual decision. And as the digital clues came trickling in, some started to believe that she'd done something to the couple out of jealousy. On September the 16th, two weeks after the disappearance, whoever was behind Charlie's internet activity posted a song on his profile, Aliyah, four page letter. Okay, One of his friends saw this as a cryptic confession by Nicole, since the chorus talks about wanting to be with someone who doesn't even notice you. This became a popular theory among Charlie's nearest and dearest, that his ex had either harmed him and his new girlfriend or paid someone else to do so, and Nicole did actually end up getting arrested. For trying to clear her name. A few weeks after the disappearance, she had the bright idea of calling up Charlie's cell phone provider, claiming to be the lead investigator from the Anderson City PD. Nicole demanded to know the most recent ping location of the missing man's cell phone, i.e., what cell phone tower is most recently connected to. But in real life, vigilantes don't usually succeed, so Nicole's antics landed her straight in jail for impersonating a police officer. Yes, I mean,. Also, what are you up to? (laughs) Don't be a vigilante, especially like a lame vigilante. So what are you going to call up the cell company and pretend to be a police officer? It's like worst vigilanteism ever. Through October, the steady stream of Facebook activity continued. The brain-damaged version of Charlie claimed that he and Carla had moved away, bought a house, and were planning on having a baby together. By this point, the family feared that kind of happy ending was impossible. The person who commandeered the account wasn't some random hacker, it was actually their killer. One of the most ominous clues of all seemed to solidify that fear. On October the 2nd, Charlie's account reposted a quote from The Eagle Song Hotel California. last thing I remember was running for the door i had to find the passage back to the place i was before relax said the nightman. we are programmed to receive you can check out any time you like but you can never leave yeah i'm just wondering what is that h- song i love that song welcome to the hotel. But but what is it about i have no idea what it's about but it's really chill it's not about murder is it or people being locked in a hotel and getting murdered I hope not. Just before we continue with today's podcast, though, let me say that support for Casual Criminalist is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist screaming champions of the world. That is quite the way to talk them up, I must say. Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family, jewels, and that rhymes too. And also, they just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawmer 4.0. I actually have one of the- these things. They sent me one and it's pretty incredible. You could... Uh, one of the best things about it, and I never really thought about this. I've never had this in any sort of razor before, whether it's for your face or... Uh, How do you describe it? Your your family jewels? Uh, It's waterproof, so you can use it in the shower and it does this like wireless charging like an electric toothbrush would do or nowadays phones or whatever. So it's waterproof, there's no like plug at the bottom where it's going to get all jammed up with water and cause any issues, which is very clever. Because, uh, you know, as anyone knows, shaving in the shower is just an easier experience. It also feels like a, a super nice bit of kit. It's kind of like hefty. I, I mean, I say hefty. Like, is it too heavy to use? No, it just feels like a high-quality piece of electronics. It's kind of got this nice, uh, I don't know what you describe it as. Like, the plastic on the outside feels like it, it, like matte. Is that the right word? Well it's, well, it's not quite matte, but it's just a really nicely finished device. sure they say some things here that i have to say yes uh, they've engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience their fourth generation trimmer that's the 4.0 the one that i was talking about features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology and look, I mean, you don't want to cut yourself while shaving your face. Or for me, I've got a big old beard going on, but I do shave my bald head. But look, you don't want to cut up there. You really don't want to cut where uh, the Manscaped thing is designed to go. So having that ceramic blade and that skin SkinSafe technology is excellent. 20% off and free shipping with the code casual20 at manscaped.com. That's casual20, so casual the word, two zero. At manscaped.com, and you'll get 20% off and free shipping. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And now back to today's show. Welcome to the Hotel California. And here's another Amazon review. Master padlock, five stars. Solid locks, have five on a shipping container. Won't stop them, but sure will slow them down until they're too old to care. Um. Dude, it's like, <laughs> this takes writing down your crimes to a whole new level, man. In my books, it's I don't review your crimes. In my books, the hero of our story so far is Nicole Carver. Wrongly accused, she sets out on a quest to crank the case to clear her name. Yeah, but, uh, I, yes, okay, yes. So far, she's the best hero. But I mean, it's a weak pool, isn't it? Like lame vigilante hunter shame about the felony charge she got to- <laughs> oh yeah she impersonated a police officer that's like a major crime uh she got for her trouble but that's basically how vigilantes always end up however a sacrifice may not have been in vain just over two months into the search on november the 3rd 2016 the cops themselves decided to check the ping locations ping locations of nicole and charlie's cell phones while it's worrying that some random woman was a month ahead of the actual detectives in that regard at least they got there in the end i sort of also expected i mean the police i don't know in my experience in the they tend to move pretty slow it's also they care less than the uh the person who's wanted to clear their name because they're being like looked at being like you did it you did it didn't you nicole you psycho you did it yeah i mean she's obviously not helping her case is she but I mean, this time the cell phone company could legally turn over the record, seeing as as it was a proper police officer asking, and what they revealed was that Charlie and Carla hadn't got very far at all. Estimates placed their last pinged location at a rural property on the outskirts of Woodruff, about 35 miles northeast of Anderson. Unbeknownst to the police at the time, this fenced-off 95-acre stretch of woodland and scrub was the lair of one of the most ruthless killers in the state's history. A team of detectives from the county's Sheriff's Department went to this eerily quiet property on the third of November and found it empty. Deep in the centre was a rustic, barn shaped house. The lights were off inside, but through the windows they could see a dust covered space in disarray. Bare floorboards, military gear, boxes of ammunition piled high, and tin foods covering metal shelves along the walls. Everything you might need to survive a total societal collapse. They knocked, but there was no answer. It seemed as if the whole 95 acres was currently deserted. But then a strange sound. It was rumbling, coming from somewhere in the trees behind the house, and then the faint but unmistakable sound of a woman screaming. The officers followed the sound through the trees, crunching over a carpet of autumn leaves, and came out onto a winding dirt road. Where it began to curve, the officer spotted a wooden tool shed and next to it was the source of the sound. A dark green shipping container with heavy locks on the outside. Solid locks. Have five on a shipping container. From the Amazon review. Someone was banging on the inside of the container wall. Oh my god. I'm very impressed that the police actually found... This has got to be like how Callum often does these, where he's like, he starts at the end and he's like, yeah, she was rescued. And then we found out that the Amazon review killer killed many, many more people. What happened next was all captured on video, released online by the 7th Circuit Solicitor's Office. Using a rotary saw, one officer cuts through the heavy bars and padlocks on the outside of the container, sending a shower of amber sparks pouring to the floor. I have it on good authority that those are five star padlocks. Won't stop them, but sure, we'll slow them down till they're too old to care. But the saw makes short work of them, and then two more detectives move in with crowbars to pry the doors open. A third waits with his gun preparing for the worst-case scenario and a fourth with a towel the doors swing open and at first it's too dark to see inside the container it appears to just be a regular storage container an industrial vacuum sits on one side with some metal wire lockers behind it but then the camera progresses inside following the cops one officer at the back says just a girl just a girl and there she is a red-headed woman wearing jeans and a sweater sits with her hands in the air it's carla brown alive and seemingly unharmed. This is a mega rarity on Casual criminalist. It's like, yeah, 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 they were kidnapped, and then they were impersonating them online, and they were disappeared forever, and then she was recovered safely. Very happy about this so far. I mean, not that she was kidnapped and locked in a shipping container with five locks that were really good five-star locks, but I mean, it's excellent that she got recovered. Her face is expressionless, as if she can't quite believe what's happening just yet. Along the back wall is the dirty old mattress she's been forced to sleep on, next to a plastic bedside cabinet with tattered old books on top. The container was a makeshift prison cell not even fit for a dog. And like a dog, the sick person that put her there had Carla Brown chained up by the neck. In a withered voice, she explains, Just one. Attached She shifts some damp bedding to show the officers the metal hoop bolted into the wall. After the crime scene photographer snaps some pictures, one detective calls for a pair of bolt cutters and begins snipping through the links. The question on everyone's minds now is, where's Charlie? Do you know where your buddy is? Charlie? Yes. He shot him. He shot him? He shot Who him. didn't? Thush. Todd cohep okay. shot Charlie Carver three times in the chest, wrapped him in a blue tarp, put him in the bucket of the tractor, locked me down here, and I never seen him again. Okay. He says he's dead and buried. He says there's several bodies dead and buried out here and okay. he says that the dogs will be ruined if they go looking because there's red pepper. We're gonna step you up so we up, because yes. there's what? Red pepper. Okay. The video cuts out shortly after. The bolt cut has snapped through the chain and the victim is led out of the container with the handcuff still dangling from her ankle. Carla's two-month-long nightmare is finally over. She was in there for two months. Holy s***. Also, yeah, he's, I mean, he was shot three times in the chest. He's, he's a goner, right? Another thing I learned, I didn't know that, I mean, I don't know if they do, but this guy obviously thinks that red pepper hurts uh, search dogs, like, you know, the, the spice or whatever. I didn't know that. So they were too late to save Charlie. He was shot dead. And who was this man that Carla mentioned? Todd Collop. He was the owner of this sprawling property and the occupant of the farmhouse. Collop was a big man with broad, flat shoulders and the build of a star NFL defender, 30 years past his prime. It all began when Charlie and Carla took Mr. Colep up on a job offer to clear brush from his property. That's where the couple disappeared to after Charlie clocked off on the 31st of August, expecting to work a few hours on the land and be home by dinner. It's not entirely clear what happened that day. It seems things went south when, as the killer's mother later explained, Charlie got nasty and got smart-mouthed. So, of course, the landowner did the reasonable thing. And drew a pistol on him. Yeah, whenever I've had disagreements with my boss in the past, it's always just we've always sorted it out with guns. Just seems easier that way. Stranded on his vast estate with nothing to protect themselves, Charlie and Carla were completely at Colep's mercy. He was a renowned gun nut, so the neighbors wouldn't have thought anything of it as three gunshots rang out through the trees that afternoon. After a boyfriend was gunned down by this pudgy paramilitary guy, Colep told Carla that he didn't want to kill her, he just couldn't let her go without jeopardizing himself. So he made her a deal. If I said no, he didn't force himself on me because he said he didn't believe in rape, but he made it very well known why I was there. And if I wasn't useful, then I wouldn't need to be kept any longer and then he would shoot me. He told me if I was a good girl, he'd teach me how to kill and I'd get to be his partner. <laughs> oh my god, what a tempting offer. Thank you. Let's let me let me take that up. And also, I feel my dude, I don't know like what the legal definition of rape is but if it's like you're locking a woman in a shipping container and be like i'm gonna kill you if you don't have sex with me i'm pretty sure that's gonna meet the definition of rape (laughs) like dude what is wrong with you he then took the terrified woman to a clearing on his property and pointed at the grounds. This is where his last pet was buried, he claims. She followed her boyfriend to the grave because she never obeyed the rules. Then Carla was chained with her hands behind her back and thrown into the shipping container. For 65 grueling days, she lived in the container as the weather outside got colder and colder. Twice per day, Carla would swing open the doors and bring her to his house. Inside a bed was set up with more chains fixed into the floor. There Carla was fed and sexually abused every day before being returned to the dark cell where she spent her nights. This. Is just the information which has been made public. The detectives have said there are more horrific details that will never see the light of day. And at this point, I'm like, good, good. My imagination's doing enough work. Don't need the details. Thanks. That was Carla's daily hell for all that time while she wondered if anyone would come and find her, or if she'd be stark obeying this pudgy psycho for the rest of her days. While she was mulling over these grim prospects, the Amazon Killer got to work covering his tracks. He drove Charlie's beat-up old car into a ravine on the property and tossed some brush over the top. Then it was on to phase two, those unconvincing Facebook messages that we covered before. Of course, by this point, the real Charlie was dead and buried in a shallow grave. Following Carla's directions, the police soon uncovered his body minus two pieces, surprisingly his feet were nowhere to be found why i i it's just it's always, i always ask why i don't even know why i ask why because it's always like because the guy's a psycho isn't he that's the reason It's that like, why did he cut his feet off because you're a psycho it's like no you didn't need the feet they're not going to be useful for anything It's like, yeah i'm going to try some shoes out i'm going to use them to keep my shoes in like the right shape no you did it because you're a psycho Gollop claimed he knew nothing about this, but it really seemed as though they had been intentionally removed. I mean, they don't just bloody fall off, do they? And I happen to know that if you're looking to dismember a dead body, there's no better tool than the Husqvarna 455 Rancher 20 inch gas powered chainsaw. Getting the neighbor to stand still while you chase him with it is hard enough. Some online sleuths eventually made the connection between Collip and these unsettling reviews because his real name was attached to one of the wish lists on his accounts. Oh no, you made an error. That's how Collip has come to be known by names like the Amazon review killer and not the weird fat guy who collects men's feet. I mean, One's more alarming, but one is definitely more clickable. Like if you clicked on this video because you were like the Amazon review killer, oh my god, what is this about? Rather than the the other one, which doesn't really leave much to the uh the imagination, does it? Judging by these reviews, the killer have been amassing an inventory of weapons, murder tools, and imprisonment accessories in anticipation of a horrible crime just like this, and leaving helpful reviews for serial killers around the globe to use when planning their own crimes. How thoughtful! But before you go out and grab your own Todd Collett murder kit, you should probably hear the rest of the story. Also, don't do that. I mean, do that, actually. If you're a serial killer, brilliant. Just go buy all of those accessories. It definitely won't get you on any sort of watch list. At this point, it looked like his own killing career was over for good. He was picked up by the police at his office near Spartanburg, then charged with the kidnapping and first-degree murder. The Spartanburg sheriff described him as very calm and very polite in custody, after confessing to every everything he asked they'd be allowed to call his mother oh my god dude you're like filling all of the serial killer tropes right now it's like yeah he's extremely polite you wouldn't think he was a serial killer yeah he wanted to call his mother who was extremely attached to the ne- the next line could just be his mother was abusive and made him keep in touch with her all the time would this the only way this could become more serial killer-y the story ends as much as you'd expect. The trial commenced in May 2017 and ended with Collip condemned to spend his life behind bars. He managed to dodge the death penalty by agreeing to plead guilty on all counts. All in all, he received a stunning seven life sentences with an extra 60 years tacked on for good luck. All that might seem a teeny bit excessive, but the reason was that this killer story does not begin and end with the Carver Brown case. No, there's going to be at least there needs to be at least six more murders, at least. As the detectives and psychologists started pulling on the threads of his life, they ended up unraveling the story of one of the most prolific, calculating, and downright vicious serial killers ever to grace South Carolina. A Child of Rage And here's another Amazon review. Hidden Shackle Padlock 5 stars If someone talks back, go old school on them by putting this in a sock and beating them. They will not appreciate the hardened steel like you will. These reviews are surprising. I know it's, like, super dark to even consider calling this funny. But it is, like, compared to the crazy, like, barely coherent English that he was posting on that dude's Facebook page, these are actually quite... I mean, they're not funny. They're horribly dark. And they're not even, like, comedic. But... It's it's better put together, is what I'm trying to say. Collip was born as Todd Christopher Samsell back in 1971 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. His mother was courtroom reporter Reggie Samsell, and his father was an army veteran, William Samsell. Just two years after Todd was born, his parents decided to get divorced, and Reggie went on to remarry soon after. This was how he ended up with the... Callap name after being adopted by a stepfather. Todd's relationship with his stepfather was apparently quite turbulent. In fact, every single adult in his life sounds violent as hell, fond of using their kids as living pinatas in the guise of tough love. According to a Facebook post that Todd made as an adult, my family believed raising me was a group effort. That means when I messed up, my mum beat my ass. My stepfather beat my ass when he got home. Next time I went to my grandparents, I got my ass beat. Collip's grandfather allegedly enjoyed using an electrified cattle prod as part of these punishments holy shit guys and i mean we come back around again on casual criminalist Please stop abusing your children because it fucks them up and turns them into serial killers and no one wants that. Get your shit together. I get that things were different back then, but surely nobody is defending the practice of tasing toddlers. Y- anyone to do that would be insane. So as Little Todd started to grow up, he soon developed problems socializing with other kids. I wonder why. You've already seen how fast Coleb's temper could flip. Even the smallest perceived insult would send him straight from zero to murderous fury in 0.5 seconds in kindergarten he would react to any social interaction with anger and violence he smashed up his peers art projects started fights on the playgrounds and threw chairs around the classroom then whenever he got home his parents would set him straight with yet another beating because maybe if they just beat him enough it'd finally be good so the older todd got the worse his attitude became yes yes exactly we could beat the misbehavior out of our children it's not the 1920s anymore guys come on Come on, get your together. It's really not that hard not to beat your children. It's really not. Like, from experience, I know. Like, you know, kids can be annoying. They scream a lot. Number of times I've beaten my child, fing zero. Never in. Th- I don't even understand how people would think this. Stop it. <laughs> well done, Simon, you hero. Number of times you've beaten your child, zero. <laughs> Any perceived slight, any talking back would be met with completely disproportionate violence. An old neighbor from the family's time in South Carolina recounted how the little terror locked her son inside a dog cage and started rolling it over, laughing at the boy's screams. Later, he was caught shooting a neighborhood dog with a BB gun and even killed his own goldfish with bleach because he wanted a gerbil instead. And again, dude all of the serial killer tropes you are absolutely nailing like torturing animals big one abusive childhood big one calling your mom big one and all of the others really i mean this is almost like fiction i if this was if this was fiction i'd be like it's it's bad it's unbelievable it's too on the nose a little note for new parents if your kid starts killing animals get them in therapy otherwise i'll be writing about them in about 20 years time yes please do that that's actually just what Todd's mother did for him. He was committed to a mental hospital at the tender age of nine, but it didn't seem to do him much good. The psychiatrists noted his abnormal obsessions with sex and violence. Holy shit, at nine, my dude. But beyond that, it doesn't seem like he got much treatment. Todd was released after just a few months, and his reign of terror continued unabated. Yet there's a difference between putting your child in therapy and being there for them and just dumping them in a mental hospital. Big difference. As Collop grew into quite a big, built young lad, his temper became so dangerous that his own mother locked his door from the outside each night, in fear of what he might do to the family in their sleep. One neighbor from those days called him a devil on a chain. But his mummy dearest saw things differently. She later explained to the press that Todd wasn't a bad person. He was just extremely sensitive to being hurt or scolded. Doesn't matter how sensitive you are to being hurt and scolded. The re- reaction is not murder or kidnapping or anything like that. It's try and get over it. Okay? That's the solution. Or if you're being or you know lash out, but not with murder. Just be like, you know, fuck you too. That's that's enough. That's enough don't murder people for god's sake why so sensitive that when a girl on the school bus dead laughed at him he stabbed her in the leg with a pair of scissors oh my god thankfully for the school kids of south carolina they wouldn't have to endure this much longer when todd turned 12 he demanded that his mother let him move in with his birth father in arizona what a treat for him. When she refused, he smashed up his room with a claw hammer and threatened to bash her head in. Coincidentally, that's when his mother realized that putting in a couple of thousand miles between herself and her little angel might be a good thing after all. Plus, she and Todd's stepfather had just split up, partly due to the constant antics of this hammer-wielding maniac, who she believes wanted her all to himself. So the little Satan Spawn packed his bags and moved across the country for the summer. Todd had spent his entire young life idolizing the father who abandoned him. Healthy role model there, Todd, And now he was finally getting to spend some time with his hero. And for the first time in his life, he wasn't completely surrounded by people just dying to beat the shit out of him every day. Not that his father was a particularly good influence. That summer he introduced his son to some macho hobbies, collecting weapons, hunting, And (laughs) bomb-making. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's teach the child psycho how to make pipe bombs. Brilliant idea, Dad. Well done. According to Todd, over these father-son bomb-making sessions, his papa would regale him with stories from his life as a top-secret mercenary and arms dealer who would disappear on missions to foreign war zones, to an impressionable little kid with a budding passion for ending lives, these nonsense stories sounded like the coolest thing imaginable. Yeah, it does sound cool. I mean, <laughs> in a kind of like scary way, but also completely made up. He was in the military though, wasn't he? Probably wasn't like an arms dealer. Miraculously, Collip never blew up his school with an IED after returning to South Carolina, but he did express his discontent at returning to his normal life. He threatened to kill himself unless his mum let him return to G.I. Joe back in Arizona, and the following year, his mother relented. He would now be living with his dad for good. Now 13 years old, Collip was happier than he'd ever been in his life. He even took back his original birth name, Todd Samsel. Throughout his early teens, he worked as a busboy at his dad's restaurant, as well as some odd jobs gardening and landscaping. It was a pleasant start, but over the next few years, the elder Samsel started disappearing for days. Then. Weeks at a time. No, he wasn't off bombing freedom into the Middle East. (laughs) He was actually chasing a never ending string of girlfriends, leaving his only son home alone. As you can imagine, this only exacerbated Todd's issues. He even contacted his mother asking to come back home, but she made excuses to put off his return. Nobody wanted the little maniac bleaching up their fishbowl, so once again, young Todd felt utterly abandoned. And it's like at this point, he's like 13 years old, so you can't be (laughs) like, No wonder no one wants him. He's 13. He's 13. Someone needs to, like, fix him. He's not even a... It's crazy. The only difference was that now he had access to guns. Brilliant. The devil on a leash was about to lash out with his most vicious attack yet. The assault. Amazon review. Unleamed gun grip. Five stars. It's blacker than my soul and priced right. <laughs> Holy shit. Back in 1986, fifteen-year-old Koleb developed a crush on a neighborhood girl, a fourteen-year-old, whose house was just three doors down from his father's. As is usually the case with that first teenage romance. He was too shy to approach her. The girl already had a boyfriend, and Koleb was absolutely terrible at handling rejection, so he came up with a clever plan to win her heart. Oh my god, please don't kill the boyfriends. You're thirteen. No, you're fourteen now. Fifteen, I'm sorry, he's fifteen. The years just fly by when you're having fun. While his father was away on a business trip that October, he confessed his love to the girl... At gunpoint, she was babysitting her two younger siblings one night when she heard a knock at the door. It was Koleb. He said that the girl's boyfriend had sent him, and he wanted to talk urgently. The moment she was outside, Todd drew one of his father's guns and pointed at the girl's chest. Todd would eventually become addicted to the power he felt in that moment. The moment he drew a gun, the world suddenly started taking him seriously. Suddenly the smug smiles disappeared from people's faces. He forced his victim to follow him to his father's house, where he tied her up and taped her mouth shut. Still just a teenager himself, Colip then proceeded to rape the... Oh my god. Dude. This... I mean, I get like, okay, so he's a disturbed teenager and he's pointing a gun at someone and he doesn't really understand it. And it's like, okay... This is like kid needs fixing, and now it's that oh, shit got real. After the ordeal, he untied her and then walked her back down the street to her house. Before the crying victim disappeared back inside, Collip threatened to murder her siblings if she ever told a soul. Some reports claim that the girl bravely ignored the threat. Some say a neighbor noticed what had happened. Either way, the cops arrived shortly after and found Collip sitting in his father's living room, holding a rifle to the ceiling. Court documents revealed the first thing he said was... How much time am I going to get for this? The answer? A hell of a lot. He's 15. Uh, Can he go to prison as an... Like... This is a tricky one. I mean, jeez. Well, we already know the answer. He goes to prison for a long time, it seems. As a 15 year old with prior psychological diagnoses, Collip should have only been looking at a few years in a mental hospital for the crime. He tried to explain the act as a simple act of rebellion against his mum and dad. You know, some kids smoke weed and sneak out at night, others kidnap and rape schoolmates. Ah, the folly of youth. <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> why? Why is it why? But the Arizona courts weren't buying that. They saw before them a vicious criminal with a long history of violence, as they should. Given the precedent set by his history of explosive antisocial behavior, the prosecutors petitioned to have him tried as an adult. Psychologist Dr. Roger Martick performed an evaluation on the teenage terror, concluding that the only emotion Todd is capable of is anger. He would later tell the court he demonstrates episodes of ignoring or distortion of reality, excessive strange impulses and feelings, and a limited capacity to tolerate unpleasant effects. Doesn't sound like he needs to be tried as an adult. Sounds like he needs, like, mental help. Because. Uh, he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, BPD, which explains his explosive reactions to any negativity. All of this meant that the doctors were convinced that he would be a threat to society in the future. Yeah, obviously. And so Todd Collip was called up to the big leagues. Adult court. I feel like he shouldn't go to adult court. He should go to adult like psychiatric diagnosis. The sexual assault charges were dropped as part of the deal to bring him there, but kidnapping still carried a hefty sentence in Arizona. In the end, young Todd, devil on a chain collep, was sentenced to fifteen years behind bars, the entirety of his time on Earth at that point. His mother, Reggie, believed his sentencing was over the top, and her little terror should have been tried in the juvenile courts. She later told reporters, Never have I seen this happen to a 15-year-old child, and not even any help offered. They don't stop to think that he even walked the girl home. What? Are you? What? Uh, wait, hang on, just let me finish the quote, because I read it ahead, and it gets even more insane. (laughs) I just had to do a double take there. Uh, the quote continues does that sound like a dangerous criminal he even walks the girl home after raping her what the f**k oh yeah reggie god forbid she walk home alone she could get kidnapped or something good thing she had a kidnapper there to protect her or (laughs) and rapist and rapist a fresh start ViperTech vts 979 51 million volts stun gun five stars seriously trying to find a reason to zap one of my agents for being lazy it's going to be the new office motivational tool (laughs) is that me and my boss settling our disagreements with guns and when i wasn't working hard enough it just zapped me with 51 million volts fairly normal All things considered, prison life never turned out too bad for teenage Dot. Despite a rocky start, he ended up earning a bachelor's degree in computer science and worked for a prison program producing graphics for companies around the state. His LinkedIn said he was a graphic designer with emphasis on print media, vinyl graphics, And engraving. All in all, it seems a bit of time behind bars might have actually improved his life a lot. He was finally released in 2001 after 14 years. The new and improved Collip stepped out into a completely different world, having skipped over the entirety of the 1990s as well as the vast majority of his own 20s. And then, as far as anyone could see, he just kind of reintegrated into society. If this wasn't, if we didn't know what was coming next, this would be one of those rare examples of American prison actually fixed someone. Like, they were they were a dangerous person they were locked away so they couldn't commit any further crimes and they were rehabilitated it's amazing except he turns out to be a serial killer which is less amazing isn't it after moving to the ridiculously named town of Spartanburg, South Carolina, <laughs> he started piecing his life back together. On his resume, he sneakily changed his ex-employer, Arizona Arizona Correctional Industries, to Arizona Consumer Industries, allowing him to dodge awkward questions about that kidnapping conviction. Um, except where I don't know, whenever I filled out a job form, there's always that question: Do you have a criminal record? And if and it's like a yes or no checkbox. And I'm fairly sure you're not supposed to lie on those things. And they do check. I don't think I've ever... Oh, I, I did have a background check for, like, one TV thing I was supposed to do once that didn't work out. And that seemed fairly thorough. But, like, they were like, we need this, like, police thing. We need all of this. And I'm like, oh, my God. But I know, like, my sister's a teacher and they have to have, like, police background checks and all of that. So, I mean, they do check into it, Right. After a few years, he got another degree and applied for a South Carolina real estate license, which never required a background check at the time. Oh, okay, there you go. (laughs) Which, I mean, I guess is good, in in a way, because we do want people who've been in prison and are ex-convicts to be able to reintegrate into society and get jobs. But I feel like, you know, for the serious, like, I don't know, it's complicated, isn't it? <laughs> Luckily, this is the casual criminals where we look at crimes, not where we solve typical moral quandaries. Let's move on. Anyone who spotted his name and face on the Arizona Sex Offenders Register would be fed a story about how the whole thing was just a misunderstanding. Ah, yes. It was just a misunderstanding. I kidnapped a 15-year-old girl at gunpoint and raped her. It was a just... You know, the folly of youth, as Callum said. And it worked a charm. Collab was granted a real estate license in 2016. He soon started his own company named TKA Real Estate with a dozen employees and became quite independently wealthy. He even got a pilot's license in 2013. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I don't like it when the serial killers are successful. And I don't like it that he's getting a pilot's license. Because I'm getting my pilot's license. Go away. Don't Join the Pilot Club. All in all, this sounds like a pretty successful story of rehabilitation, a truly inspiring story of a life turned around. Thanks to the good people of the Arizona Penitentiary System, Todd Collip was finally able to straighten up and fly right. Oh yes, and then there was the other thing, wasn't there? The whole shipping container sex slave thing. Uh, Okay, perhaps Old Devil on a Chain wasn't quite as squeaky clean as I made out. While he was putting together a successful public life for himself post-release, he also lived a secret second life as a cold-blooded criminal. In fact, the truth is that he made it less than two years out of prison before he went back to his old ways. The Superbike Motorsport Massacre 50-pack 12-inch by 18-inch splatterburst shooting target Four stars. It's being harsh on this one. Excellent use for changing up on target, not just for sighting in. Okay, I don't know what a Splatterburst shooting target is though. Way back on the 6th of November 2003, had you been unlucky enough to walk into the Superbike Motorsports shop in Chesney, South Carolina at around 3.15, you'd have been greeted with a horrific scene. Two people lying in the doorway with bullet holes in their head. A further two victims were slumped over inside the shop, also killed with gunshots to the cranium. It was a case of seemingly senseless violence that shook the community at its core. Nobody had any reason to harm store owner Scott Ponder, 30, much less his mother, Beverly Guy age 52 manager brian lucas 30 mechanic chris sherbert 26 were the others found dead at the scene it had the hallmarks of a gangland revenge killing but none of the victims were in any way gang affiliated the investigation went cold for a full 13 years until our amazon review killer happened to casually mention it to the captive carla brown hoping to impress her with his ruthlessness and marksmanship yeah that'll really impress the sex slave that you've captured and put in a shipping container it's like, yeah, 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 that'll make a... Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, we can be partners in crime. We can go killing people together. Now get in the house so I can rape you again. What the f*** is wrong with you? When the cops questioned him on this, he readily confessed. It's almost as if he was desperate to win their admiration too. Got there. Not everybody was there. Went and sat on a few bikes. Did my usual basic stuff for time and doing my best to make sure that paying customers weren't there. Collateral damage is not cool. haha I cleared that building in under 30 seconds. You guys would have been proud. Laughs. I'm sorry, but you guys would have been proud. I guess this is one of those like serial killer psycho things where it's just like you don't understand how other people think. Like you think the woman you've got locked in the shipping container is going to come around and be your partner in murdering crime? You think that the police are going to be impressed that you murdered civilians and you didn't cause any collateral damage? The civilians you murdered are collateral damage. You're killing civilians. What's up? Todd was his usual lighthearted self, discussing the massacre of four innocents as if he were chatting about a video game. The cops knew he was telling the truth, because he added information that was never made public. Every one of the victims died from a gunshot wound to the forehead. Collip was ridiculously proud of his finely honed marksman skills. To him, shooting a living person was no different than blasting the bullseye on the paper targets that he spent his youth practicing on. But this still leaves the question of why those specific targets. Well, apparently, it was a revenge killing after all, just a gloriously unnecessary one. Collip claims that he had a beef with the store staff after an altercation earlier that year. He had bought a sports bike from the store, but could never get the hang of riding it, so naturally, he went back to the store to, work store to ask for a refund. As the killer's mummy later explains, they laughed at him, made jokes at him. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well. Mate, we can't give you a refund on the bike just because you can't manage riding a bike, you small child. Oh, Todd, you poor thing. But it's like my own dad always told me. If a kid at school ever tries to bully you, shoot them all dead in a calculated rampage. Spare none. Leave no witnesses. Your honor depends on it, son. I had a weird childhood, and as we all know, Todd was similarly fond of massive overreactions. Yeah, it's like, look, (laughs) you had a bad experience at the store. Get pissed off about it. Maybe leave a negative Google review, and then move on with your life. In fact, whenever I have like a bad experience with anything, I'm always like, oh, I will write about this on Twitter. And then I'm like, no, just don't. Just move on. Just move on with your life. Just, just, just don't. Just come on. Come on, boy. Get on with it. Get over it. So when the meanies at Superbike Motorsports bullied him for not knowing how to ride a bike, he added them to the top of his hit list. And even though he had the emotional maturity of a two-year-old, he was far from stupid. As John Douglas, ex-FBI profiler and the Inspiration for Mind put it, he was more of a retaliatory type of person. If he felt you were doing him wrong, he would get even. He's very patient. He would wait months. But he's going to come back. He's going to get you he was a different breed of cat. A different breed of cat, indeed. Our humorous egomaniac was willing to go all John Wick on an entire store full of people just because they weren't nice to him. On top of that, he really thought of himself as a macho anti-hero, dealing out justice against the world. After the day he was laughed out of the store, he left and watched and waited. And after a long enough time had passed, he returned to the store to execute every one of his bullies in cold blood. The Doomsday Prepper Days. Emergency War Surgery The Survivalist's Medical Desk Reference Five Stars Hope I never need it, but I got it. That was the first of Todd Collip's crimes that we can verify beyond a doubt, but nothing can convince me that there aren't more bodies out there. Every time someone cut him off in traffic, chuckled at his outfit, or got his order wrong at Burger King, there was a solid chance he fantasized about slaughtering them... And their entire family regardless the years between the super massacre and his real estate days are suspiciously quiet the story picks up again around 2014 when todd was sitting pretty on a mini real estate empire even though he had achieved financial success he was generally shunned by most people who knew him he would write like an edgy teen on facebook joking about fatal car crashes and murders venting his constant rage and saying how we need a bola snowstorm to wipe out half the population here's hoping you're in the unlucky half-todd, female employees complained about the sleazy creep watching porn at his desk, and everyone else knew him as a loudmouth egomaniac who wouldn't shut up about his cars and guns. In short, everyone thought he was a bullbag. So Collip decided to retreat from society with his middle fingers in the air. In May 2014, he acquired that 95-acre plot of land we visited before for a surprisingly cheap $305,632. It just. <laughs> There's so much land in America. The idea that you could buy ninety-five acres of land in like in like Europe for three hundred thousand dollars, like yeah, no, uh, definitely not. Apparently, they're just throwing lands away in South Carolina. <laughs> Apparently so. That's amazing. Todd tacked on another eighty thousand dollars to the cost by erecting a chain-link fence around the perimeter to keep the outside world at bay. He told, "That's a massive fence. Ninety-five acres of land." He told the previous owner that he didn't want nothing to do with anybody. Collip kept his house in Spartanburg, but began spending more and more time down in Woodruff on his expansive property. A big fan of The Walking Dead, our trigger-happy sociopath dreamed of the day when society would collapse and people like him, middle-aged gun nuts with beer bellies and zero social skills would rise up to the top of the pecking order. But he wasn't content to wait for the inevitable zombie hordes. Koleb wanted to satisfy his bloodlust now. If you've been paying attention, you'll remember that this is exactly when those macabre Amazon reviews started popping up online. Rather than waste time visiting 10 different hardware stores like an old-school serial killer, tech-savvy Kolib and much of his kill kits delivered right to his door. I mean, there's a reason people go to 10 different hardware stores to buy all their like, murder equipment. Because if you go into a store and it's like, yeah, what are you buying? uh, machete, buckets, do you need buckets for murdering? (laughs) I have to watch too much, uh, what's it, Breaking Bad, where they melt the bodies, but, uh, you buy machete, duct tape, uh, shovel, I guess, big tarp, big plastic tarp, they buy it in different places, because if you bought all that in one place, people are going to be like, what's up my dude <laughs> why are you buying all this stuff let me call the police or more likely they'll just be like you know 74 dollars, please sir and then you move on um but buying it online definitely leaves like a, a trail todd come on i thought you were smart On his Amazon account, you'll find dozens of reviews for combat gear straps, holsters, grips, padlocks, reloading tools, super absorbent sponges, etc. He even had a nice library of survival manuals covering everything from assault rifle, battle tactics to emergency surgery. By the time Collip was captured, his Hotel California killing grounds boasted more arms, ammunition and military gear than some small nations could even dream of. Let's return to 2016 for a moment to take a look around his dingy Doomsday Prepper Fortress. Among an album of 104 pictures of the scene shared with the public, you'll find a silenced pistol with a laser sight sitting on top of his dog's kennel, another pistol stored on top of a closet shelf, another pistol taped above the pantry doorframe just in case the ninja assassins come at you while you're preparing a nice bollock maze a tactical vest packed with ammo and strapped with you guessed it another pistol on the chest an smg in the trunk of one of his bmws an assault rifle in the trunk of the other a bulletproof vest in his jacket closet a taser and syringes in his bedroom drawers a silenced smg tucked between two storage shelves in his garage entire shelving racks filled with boxes of ammo what was this on his on his face back I don't know, uh, uh, where was it? Wherever it was, it's like, Facebook's crazy. You can get away with anything. You try putting that shit on YouTube, they'll shut you down so hard. Which, yeah, good. There's only a fraction of all the, actually, they probably wouldn't because there's loads of gun content on YouTube, isn't there? I mean, you just, guns are fine as long as you're not a psycho. That's only a fraction of all the firearms found in his properties and vehicles. And I know all of this might not be as shocking For my American friends, yeah, you're probably thinking, (laughs) thinking, Simon, what's up? I got loads of guns. I'm always holding guns. Every picture of me on social media, I have at least two guns on me. You know, you're thinking, you call that a collection? But I grew up in a place where carrying a flip knife can get you four years in prison, so I can't quite get over it. Here's a guy who once raped a girl at gunpoint in possession of more weaponry than a Mexican cartel. Yeah, he was in prison for 15 years. Why is he allowed to buy guns? I thought if you went to prison, they they were like no more guns for you. Especially if you were involved in a violent crime involving a gun. What the f***, America? Unfortunately, you can't have any chirpy Amazon reviews for any of the items above because Todd procured them illegally, being a felon and all. Oh, okay, there we go. Wait, so you're now posting about... You're not allowed to own the guns and you're like, look at all these guns i have got. How... Police, come on! Just by paying someone to buy all the guns for him, he was able to amass enough weaponry to take on the entire sheriff's department. Who knows what he might have done if they came sniffing around? After spending over a year stockpiling all this lovely killing gear, Collip decided to make his dark fantasies a reality once again at the end of 2015. From then on, his neighbors noticed a change in his demeanor. Collip retreated into his forest fortress for huge stretches of time and cut himself off from the world even further, barring anyone from stepping foot on his land drop who lived in a trailer just off the property, said, he told me he wanted to be left alone. It didn't ring a bell that he might be trying to keep something in instead of something out. JOHNNY AND MEGAN <laughs> SOG ENTRENCHING TOOL FOLDING SHOVEL 5 STARS Keep it in the car for when you have to hide the bodies and you left the full-size shovel at home. Does not come with a midget, which would have been nice. <laughs> Dude, It's too far. Not even funny. Collip was a familiar face to 26-year-old Megan McCraw-Coxy of Spartanburg for all the wrong reasons. Our renowned office masturbator was a frequent customer of the Waffle House in Spartanburg where the young woman worked. He would come in for lunch and pester the female staff with the same pervy awkwardness that he inflicted upon his employees. Being his favorite, Megan got the brunt of his advances. Things got so bad that one of the male chefs had to go out and take Collip's order whenever he came in. Needless to say, she had no intentions of spending any more time near this creep than she absolutely had to. But in December of 2015, Megan found herself in dire personal circumstances. That December she was charged with child neglect after a baby tested positive for heroin. Holy shit. The child, I assume, because she's using heroin and the baby's getting it through the milk? Is that how it works i mean that's intense the child was put with a foster family after she admitted to using heroin during the first six months of the pregnancy oh okay so she was doing okay that's not good she and her husband johnny coxie 29 were known for occasional panhandling to gather money for drugs and now that she had lost her job and baby they were even more desperate for cash the last contact megan had with her family was when her mother came to bail her out of jail she said she needed a quick release to take a job offer but beyond that she gave no details after their meeting at the jailhouse megan and johnny disappeared without a trace they were reported missing on december 22nd, 2015. from there the story is pretty much the same as that of carla brown and charlie carver except this first couple were never found that was until police dogs descended on todd collop's property almost a year later following the killer's arrest after finding the body of charlie carver they continued combing over the entire 95 acres for any further trace of victims Sure enough, Megan and Johnny were down there in the dirt. Collip candidly confessed to murdering them at his property in much the same fashion as you've already seen. He invited them onto his land, promising them good money for clearing away brush. Yeah, but yeah, but you don't... I wouldn't go clear the brush at the creepy dude's house. I mean, that's... I guess because you, oh, you're like, oh, I need money and I'll go there with my boyfriends. It'll probably be fine. He's just a creep. And if my boyfriend's there, he's not going to creep on me too bad without, you know, getting beaten up and you don't think you're going to get murdered. It's probably not where you go. He then killed Johnny without warning with a gunshot to the head and imprisoned Meghan in his makeshift holding cell for six days. Apparently, she wasn't as compliant a captive as her successor, so Collip decided to execute her in cold blood, who shot her in the back of the head on Christmas Day. Once again, he claims that he killed the male victim, on the spur of the moment, as punishment for his bad attitude, and he only imprisoned and abused the woman out of necessity. But I don't buy this in the slightest, yet there's nothing necessary about it. The pathetic man-child clearly planned the whole thing in order to fulfill his desire to kill and control. He wanted to be seen as a badass gunman at war with the world, when really he was just a standard sleazy creep with no conscience and a messed up mind. Which brings us back to the most curious question of all. Feet. Once again, it appeared as if Collip had severed the feet, but when quizzed on it by detectives, he played dumb. Years later, he wrote to an investigative journalist saying, I kill, I don't play with bodies, this isn't criminal minds. So, if that's the case, Todd, who took the feet? Were they already missing when they got there? Do you have a necrophiliac mate who keeps digging around on your land? Did the foot fairy snatch them and leave you a dollar under your pillow? Honestly, this denial is a hundred times weirder than just admitting you cut them off for some weird sex thing. But I guess that wouldn't really fit with the image Collip was trying to project, because the impression I get is that above all, Todd Collip didn't want to be feared, or hated. More than anything, he just wanted somebody to think he was cool. It's like, dude. This is just one guy where it's like, you just don't understand how regular people think. It's just like, you got no idea what's going on in other people's minds. Like, we don't generally know what's going on in other people's minds, but we can take a good guess. This guy's taking a guess and he's just getting it wildly wrong. How many more? SOG Pentagon Fixed Blade S14N, four stars. Haven't stabbed anyone yet. Yet. But I am keeping the dream alive, and when I do, it will be with a quality tool like this. But you only gave it four stars, mate. You don't want a five-star knife for all the stabbing? The sad thing is that everyone knew a kid like Collap, but the vast... no, pff, wait. <laughs> At what age? I didn't know anyone who held someone by knife points and then raped them. So, I mean, but... Yeah, I mean, I guess there's like weird... Every... There's always weird kids, but, you know... Not that weird. Even well into his middle age, Colop was still spinning juvenile fantasies about military glory that only a five-year-old would fall for. Scott Wildruff, who lived next door to his woodland property, said that the killer once claimed to have flown overseas on a secret mission with his mercenary father and mowed down a village of locals from a helicopter. This sounds like he's describing Ride of the Valkyries from Apocalypse Now and its 100% verified premium grade A bullshit. When you're dealing with such an immature fantasist as this, it makes it especially hard to work out how many victims he actually killed. If we exclude the village full of Viet Cong from the tally, then we're currently looking at seven murders. That's how many Collip was charged with when he went to trial, hence the seven life sentences. But when Carla told detectives about her nightmare imprisonments at the Hotel California, she revealed a shocking statistic. Collip claimed he was actually approaching triple digits. He never called himself a serial killer, he preferred the term… Mass murderer. Okay. But how much of that can be trust? In December 2017, he reiterated his claims in a letter to the Spartan Herald Journal, claiming that there are many more bodies to be found yet. Yes, there is more than seven. I tried to tell investigators, and I did tell FBI, but it was blown off. It's not an addition problem, it's a multiplication problem. Leaves the state and leaves the country. Thank you, private pilot's license. This guy's English is terrible. I can't decide whether he's smart or stupid. Because he's smart, like he, he became independently wealthy and he built like an empire of real estate stuff. So he can't be that dumb. He's got to understand finance. He also got his private pilot's license, which I'm doing right now. I'm surprised with, you know, it's not rocket science, but the theory is not basic. If that's true and he really did use his pilot's license to get around then he might be responsible for many more deaths thousands of miles away from south carolina arizona is obviously a top candidate he claimed to have shot at least one person there but aside from that he's reluctant to offer up any further closure at this point i really don't see any reason to give numbers or locations there's only one murder in which he has offered up candid verifiable details about one year into his prison sentence, he told officers a story about his return to South Carolina just after getting released from prison in 2001, when he stayed at a complex called The Hunt Club Apartments. To hear him tell it, several of his nosy neighbors weren't about having a sex offender in their midst and tried to harass him out of the building. They called his phone at all hours and distributed flyers around the area, warning that a convicted kidnapper was in town. When he told the cops about his predicament, they were less than sympathetic. Deal with it they said. But to Collip's ears, that sounded like an invitation to take action. When two local men decided to confront him about his past, he dealt with it. In a phone call with a reporter, he said, Two individuals decided to assault me, and they're no longer with us. Collip says that one man came at him with a hammer and the other with a knife. He managed to disarm the latter and then stabbed him in the chest. His friend died from a knife wound to the neck. The killer claims that he dumped both bodies at a dead end off Interstate 26, a few miles out of Spartanburg. Keep in the car when you have to hide the bodies. But wait one second, Todd. In that review for SOG Pentagon Fixed Blade S14N, you said you haven't stabbed anyone yet. Were you lying then or are you lying now? I just don't know if I can trust you anymore. Yeah, and you're a famous bullshitter. So I'm always like, well, unless there's some evidence, um, because let's not trust your word, because obviously that's totally unreliable. Like, I don't think, I don't think so even though i'm not convinced this dubious confession was apparently enough to justify a full-scale operation by the county sheriff which makes me think that the details must have matched up with missing persons cases from back at the turn of the millennium why else would they spend so much money hunting for bodies that might not exist the cops actually identified a handful of possible locations that fit the description driven given by colep however nothing but animal bones were found in the end who knows if it was all a charade to win some limelight or if there really are two men buried off in those woods somewhere. Ever since, Collep has pretty much shut up shop. He's reluctant to give any more information to the police, and unless he can be guaranteed immunity from further prosecution, perhaps he knows that the death sentence would be an inevitability otherwise. Wrap up. That's the real end of the story so far. The point at which the trail of Collep's destruction goes cold. Unless he decides to open up about the whereabouts of those alleged bodies, which could be as many as 90, then there aren't any leads to follow. So where is the amazon review killer now he better be in bloody prison callum our wannabe action hero was 46 when he returned to prison and will now be celebrating turning 50 at the broad river correctional institute in columbia south carolina and i think we can all agree that the real victim in all of this is the cellmate who has to listen to him talk every single day i kind of hope he's just locked in his own box somewhere all in all he only ever managed about 15 of his adult years outside of prison to circle back to the question we began with i feel that's the real man at the bottom of all this biography, Todd Collip wasn't some mercenary commando nor a calculating killer genius. Behind all that, I just see a maladjusted moron who couldn't function in the real world. Similarly, his mother told the TV show 48 Hours, "He was very misunderstood. Todd is not a monster. He's not even close to it. He wasn't doing it for enjoyment. He was doing it because he was mad, and he was hurt." Sorry, Reggie, but your precious little offspring is killing for catharsis. I think the monster label fits pretty damn well. The reality we've seen today, through witness reports, biography snippets, as well as confession and online posts from the man himself, is that he actually did seem to enjoy every minute of it. Killing human beings was just a way for Todd to work through his explosive insecurities, and indulge his army man fantasies. And for those reasons, I'm afraid I can only give the Amazon Review Killer himself two stars out of five. Creepy dude. Weird obsessions. Terrible grammar. Would not recommend. Two stars is generous, Callum. Dismembered Appendices Number 1. The Amazon Killer must have been following the news while the manhunt was on for Carla and Chris, because that September he made a post on Facebook which is actually incredibly cold in retrospect. Reading the news, this missing person, that missing person, oh wait, that person just went to the beach with friends. Other person found with her parole violation boyfriend, he was mocking searches for missing people while Carlo was imprisoned. In his container dungeon. Number two, buried among the Amazon reviews, I found a chilling detail which is never mentioned in any of the coverage of this case. It seems like in 2014, Collab somehow actually had a proper girlfriend, one with a small daughter. One of the reviews was for a doll that he bought for the girl. Three stars, in case you're wondering. I hope her mother got far away from our killer once the truth came out. Yes, <laughs> totally. Oh my god. Number three, and lastly, no matter how unsettling serial killers are, you true crime knots always find a way to one up them. In August 2020, the contents of the killer's Hotel California were auctioned off to raise money for victim compensation. Among the 550 items were his cars, boxing bag, books, and hilariously, even that motorbike that he could never get the hang of. One crime junkie woman bought a real estate sign with his face plastered on front, hoping for the price to go up as the kill count grew. That is dark how many more bodies will they find it's fascinating it's cool in a very morbid way no offense love but that's a different class of mental yeah agreed that no one should be that into true crime (laughs) this has been an episode of the Casual criminalist i do hope you enjoyed it i enjoyed it horrific as ever if you did please do if you're watching on youtube make sure you hit that like button below don't forget to subscribe if you're listening as a podcast leave us a review would be much appreciated. Uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify doesn't allow them, so that's fantastic. Or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, thanks for watching.